Welcome to Time in the Market, a podcast that profiles investors and their journeys. Time in the Market is brought to you by Shareholder Vote Exchange, the world's first marketplace for shareholder voting rights. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment advice. Please enjoy the show. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Stephen Zhu, and welcome to the latest episode of Time in the Market, a podcast that profiles investors and their journeys. Today, we have Michael Levin from The Activist Investor on. Michael is a profound voice in the space of activist investing and writes uh, a newsletter, as well as uh, operates two websites, theactivistinvestor.com and universalproxycard.com. I think some people don't know that upc.com exists uh, and actually did not know about this until a couple months ago when I said, hey, Preston, check out this resource. He's like, Stephen, you know, uh, the person behind this is someone you've already been reading. I said, what? So, so, so today we have uh, the man behind uh, uh, many websites, uh, Michael Levin. But first, I'll pass it off to you, Preston. Please introduce yourself and kick us off. Sure. Yeah. So I'm excited to have Michael on. We've been chatting for for quite a while, and uh, I think it's it's great. We'll be able to hit on a lot of different topics. And uh, the activistinvestor.com is a is a great website and a great resource, I think, to a lot of folks in the space, um, those who are interested in activism, whether they're different kinds of service providers or folks like us who are just interested. It's been a very valuable resource. So, Michael, I think a, a great place to start it off might be, you know, talking about your background and and how you got into investing. So where are you from? Where'd you go to school? And how'd you get into finance? Well, great. Thanks for thanks for asking. Thanks for having me on the, on the podcast. I live and work in Chicago, where I uh, grew up for all but about six years, right after graduate school, when I lived in New York City, and a year when I lived in Singapore. Uh, this is where I've made my home. I even went to uh, undergraduate and graduate school here at the University of Chicago, where I have uh, studied economics. So that's a little bit, uh, re- would reveal a little bit about the uh, perspective I bring to uh, activists investing problems and investing situations. I, I didn't start out as an activist. My professional career as an activist investor, I actually uh, spent about the first almost 20 years uh, of my professional career as a management consultant. Uh, the first couple of weeks of that was as an actuary. Uh, and then I um, I figured out I wasn't cut out for that. I, had, I did not nearly have the, uh, the energy and the aptitude to pass all the exams needed to become an actuary. So instead, I, I went into management consulting with a bunch of big firms. I um, spent about uh, three, four, five years as a finance executive at a couple of uh, public companies, and then figured out that I really didn't like working for really big companies, which at the time was good because they decided they didn't like me working for them either. So I um, I kind of struck out on my own and started uh, focusing on this uh, this activist side of, of things. I think one of the, the the main motivation is as as a management consultant and as a as a finance executive, I grew very frustrated with the urgency and the pace of change at at companies. I, I really wanted things to happen a lot more uh, quicker and better and so forth. And I, I wondered as I made my way uh, through that wh- whether investors may have a better shot at at creating. Uh, change as they try to um, create better investments for themselves. 
So that's sort of what got me involved in it. Um, there's been a lot of uh, twists and turns uh, in the past almost 20 years that I've been working on it. But that's uh, that's kind of the origin of 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 how I uh, how I got started in it. So yeah. Going off of that, Michael, what about your background? Uh, maybe your education at U Chicago or your experience working as a consultant. Uh, yeah. what, what attributes or what lessons from your previous life were the most instrumental in what you do now? Well, you know, clearly you know, breaking down investments and so forth, uh, analytically, you know, looking at some of the, some of the basic elements of, uh, cash flow, uh, balance sheet and so forth is, is quite relevant. Um, I, I was intrigued though, you know, I, you know, part of my background, particularly in graduate school was working in public policy. When I first went to college, I set out to be an attorney, uh, and I, I never went to law school. But um, I was kind of intrigued by the intersection of, um, you know, legal ideas and so forth and, and economics. Uh, in, in some respects, activist investing is kind of applied law and economics, which is, you know, a, a, a vibrant uh, academic field where, you know, economic study and legal thought kind of inform each other. Well, activist investing is kind of that applied. You know, where, where, where do, you know, real life examples of law and economics problems kind of take shape? Uh, and it happens, you know, at U.S. public companies a lot. And you know, some of the problems related to agency problems and, you know, state and federal law and regulation all kind of intersect in some very cool and, and interesting ways at, at companies. So, um, so sort of that academic background, in a sense, uh, you know, informed by the kind of analytical habits you pick up as a management consultant and so forth, you know, helped, you know, motivate me to want to want to look at these business problems, investment problems from, like I said, from this investor perspective, from, you know, how to how to cash flows work and how can we make, uh, you know, make money in an investment this way. Very interesting. And, you know, there's actually an academic paper I was as reading uh, or reviewing recently by uh, uh, Michael Jensen and I forget his partner, uh, Meckling, yeah. uh, and as a <laughs> nexus of contracts. Uh, and they talk about right. agent costs and it, it's, it's super interesting. Um, yeah. I've read it, so, read it many times. It's great, 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 great work. Jensen, Jensen's one of the gods of this, of this field. And he went to the University of Chicago. So, Hey, <laughs> did, did you ever get to to meet him or? I've to, uh, yeah, we've met a few, we've met a couple of times. We've talked, we talked in the past couple of years. He's, he's really retired. He's getting up there. But Jensen's uh, Jensen's great. Nice. Well, how did um, you know? How did you sort of get to the activist space, and and really, what what prompted you to dis, you know decide to start the activist investor as a uh, resource? Okay, so so this is, that's actually that's a great question. Let me let me tell you a little story. So my very first activist investment, so to speak, was in something around two thousand two or three. So I was still, you know, well embedded in the, the corporate world. And it was at, of all places, McDonald's Corporation. And I um, had a couple ideas for them. I owned a bunch of shares and I um, wanted to kind of try out some of these ideas. So I wrote a letter. I didn't even email. I wrote a letter to the CEO, Jack Greenberg at the time. And um, he wrote back or called and said, why don't you come in for a meeting? And I said, whoa. 
I said that, that, and so I met with him, and we had a couple meetings with the CFO. I owned enough shares for them to want to maybe listen for a minute, but not enough shares for them to say, "Wow, uh, you really know what you're doing." So I, um, after a couple meetings, they said we can we can all go, go on our individual ways. I said fine, and I had I, I I was clueless. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how boards of directors work, how governance worked, investor relations. I was very naive. But I learned from the experience and did that a few more times at a bunch of different companies. And then was, you know, intrigued by the reaction you'd get or not uh, from from a company where I was a shareholder. And I presumably, you know, I could at least, you know, get an audience. Um, and I said, wow, this is this is pretty cool. And I, I started to try to, um, uh, you know, do it more and better, learning more about SEC regs and so on and so forth over a period of years. And then um, at some point I said, you know, man, well, I wonder if this is worth uh, worth creating as like a as a as a business as a as, and and maybe should I, I should you know raise an investment fund or a hedge fund or something like that. Well, uh, when that started to occur to me, it was two thousand eight. That was a very bad year to try to raise money for any kind of fund. Okay? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, it was uh, the timing. The timing sucked. Uh, especially when you were like me, you know, who had, you know, had all this good company experience, but I didn't have any trading experience. I had no track record. I didn't have any securities licenses. I had nothing. So, so no one was going to give me millions of dollars to manage in this situation. But, but, but I had a number of folks I knew um, who had really crappy portfolio companies at that point. Everyone was doing really, really horribly, you know. I, I can't remember who it was, maybe Buffett, who said, you know, rising, rising tide lifts all boats. And then when the tide goes out, you see who's naked. Okay, well, there were a lot of naked companies at that point, companies where, you know, really good share price performance had hidden a lot of sins and a lot of corporate governance problems. Um, and I started talking to a bunch of friends of mine and they said, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to invest anything in any kind of fund, but I have a company that is really in bad shape and I have no idea what to do. Is there something you can help me with? So at the same time, I was working on some of my own and continue to this day, working on some of my own activist investing projects, just individually or with friends of mine or with you know partners and so forth. I started advising some of these folks, um, you know, telling them, you know, what their rights might be as an activist, um, you know, what uh, what's the best way to try to gain influence with a company, with the board of directors, with the management team. Um uh, you know, as a it's company, it, it was investors, shareholders that you know had decent share, decent blocks in a company, but you know it was really underperforming, and they didn't want to sell, or they couldn't sell. You know, usually you just walk, uh, or they didn't feel like they should have to sell. They knew that there was some embedded value there if the board and management would just do some something correctly. So I started advising them. You know, this is you know getting on you know over ten years ago about about how to deal with these situations and that's that's a part of what I do even today is helping people uh, understand what their uh, opportunities are to try to influence a company um help uh, plan that out help execute on those plans um as a result I've ended up on boards of directors uh of companies I've worked on uh that's always a fun interesting experience to talk about and um you know continue to 
you know, work on these things, you know, with people who are individual investors, mutual funds, family offices, hedge funds, whoever's got a, a you know, a, a big enough position in a company that they just don't like what's going on, uh, don't want to sell and, and want to try to do something about it. So, yeah, so that's a, that's a very long way to say, um, you know, kind of how, how it morphed from curiosity about, you know, one investment at a local company at McDonald's, which I picked because in part because I didn't have to travel. It's a Chicago area company. Um, but also, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, how, how we, how we got to, to where we are today on this. So, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's fascinating. And uh, just to clarify for the audience, uh, Michael runs the activistinvestor.com. But um, he also has a consulting arm uh, that comes off of it where, uh, or actually, I don't know who his typical clients are, but uh, yeah. people do reach out to him and uh, consult for his services. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's mutual funds. Like I said, I have a couple of mutual fund friends, my several hedge funds I know. You know, these folks aren't necessarily full-time, you know, hardcore activist investors like the ones we sometimes read about or read about increasingly. Um, but again, folks that have a underperforming company in their portfolio, they just they know that they, they know can do better and they they just don't want to sell out of the position. But they, they're willing to take some of the time and effort to uh, to try to influence management to get them to do things differently. So, yeah. So when you started out, how were the, you know, both your perspective and, you know, the kind of tactics or approach that that, uh, you know, an engaged shareholder would want to take with the company. How, you know, how is it back then? And, you know, how has it changed uh, now? It's become it, more... it, it, it hasn't changed a whole lot, but it's actually interesting. Um, at the time, and even today, there's this sentiment, if you're not, you know, really familiar with the corporate governance and the boards and the SEC regs, there's this sentiment that um, Activist investing. If you're going to, you know, go activist or whatever on a company, you kind of have one of two. What I'll describe is sounds like probably pretty extreme choices. Okay, uh, at, at one extreme, you can sort of just I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter to the CEO. I'm going to tell him what I think. You know, I'm a shareholder, and here's three things you ought to do. I think you ought to increase the dividend and sell the corporate chat and uh and 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 be nicer to your to your unionized employees or something. I mean, you know, there's a whole range of things you put in a letter. Okay. At the other extreme, uh, you know, there's folks who think that activism uh is a um is a fight for the life of the corporation. You know, we're gonna run for the board of directors and we're going to, uh, I'm going to get 10 friends of mine to run for, you know, the 11 seats on this board of this company. I'm going to spend, you know, a ton of money to try to get them elected. And, we're, and then we're going to take over. Okay. And, 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 and people sort of view that there's these two ends, these two extremes. And, and there's a lot of choices in between about how to try to influence a company if you're a shareholder. Um, that don't necessarily that, that that go way beyond just you know writing a letter and kind of venting your feelings, which is what that amounts to, or you know devoting your life and a lot of your your uh, a lot of expense to trying to you know elect everybody to the board. You know, there's there's many many middle you know places where you can find a middle ground um, where you can you know contact the company, negotiate with the company, really talk to the board in some some ways where boards are not necessarily comfortable talking to you 
uh, talking to other shareholders. You can learn who some of the other big shareholders are and have discussions with them. Um, and, and there's all sorts of different ways of, of trying to uh, bring yours and potentially other shareholders' influence on the company where the company starts to listen a little more closely to what shareholders want. Um, and, um, and, and, and part of the, the philosophy has been to try to find some of those, those paths forward that, you know, are much more effective than writing a letter. You know, no, no, no CEO has ever received a letter from a, uh, from a single shareholder. And I, I don't know if I can, I can curse here and said, man, this guy's an effing genius. I'm going to do exactly what he just told me to do. That, that that doesn't really happen. I don't know. Um, between that and um, and like I said, you know, spending a, a tremendous amount of resources on a proxy contest, which you know sometimes happens, but that's uh, that's usually you know the the, the logical uh, result of of many of many t- uh, ways to try to escalate uh, pressure and influence on a company. So yeah, so that's. Um, uh, that, that, that's kind of one way to to sort of think about, you know, what are those middle grounds? And, you know, those are available to lots of shareholders, individual shareholders, you know, small funds and so forth. Uh, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, activism isn't just for Carl Icahn and Nelson Peltz and, and, and Bill Ackman. In your, uh, you know, kind of consulting work and, and your uh, experience then, are there different approaches that you think an individual shareholder needs to take oh, or can sure. take? versus you know an institutional investor yes absolutely there and and it, it, in part it depends on what you want to get out of this okay um in general there's today there's kind of two flavors of of activism and i'll, I'll cover both okay um and this could happen at really you know mega cap companies or even you know micro cap smaller companies and all in between okay you know, the original, you know, activism had to do with what I'll call, you know, financial or hedge fund or whatever activism. You got a company that's underperforming financially. And 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 you want and you want them to do better. You want constructively to kind of influence the company um, to, um, you know, allocate capital differently, to um, not spend cash uh, in, in ways it shouldn't to, um, you know, get in and out of a business or to, you know, improve operational efficiency, all the things you get from, you know, reading closely the uh, financial statement and understanding what their business strategy is and so forth. Okay. And that all kind of flows back to share price and share price appreciation. And that's, you know, that's a lot of the reason people invest in, uh, in, in companies. Uh, the, the second flavor, of course, you know, is now called ESG, environmental social governance activism. But there's there's all sorts of, you know, stakeholder, as there's called, driven reasons to want to try to interact with a company. OK, and those are legitimate. Um, and, 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 you know, and there could be an individual shareholder that just wants to, um, you know, make their uh, views known or, under, you know, or, 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 or try to help assure that a company, uh, you know, does things a little differently in the community or in, in society. Okay. Is in terms of sustainability with the, with the environment or how they handle different social issues. Uh, and there's many, many examples of that, that recently. Okay. So, so both are kind of, you know, again, legitimate ways to try to uh, act. The one thing that, that becomes 
are pretty important is that, you know, any one shareholder, you know, even one with just, you know, 100 shares or even someone who owns 5 or 10% of a big company, you're, you're not going to have nearly the kind of result you have acting by yourself compared to how you're going to be able to um, act when you're coordinating or at least collaborating or at least talking to other shareholders. Okay. So there's all sorts of forums. There's all sorts of places, you know, SVE is, is, is one of them, I suppose, where individual shareholders can, uh, you know, talk to a community of other shareholders in a company and start to compare notes and start to see, you know, do you agree about this financial analysis? Do you think how they're handling the sustainability issue is right or wrong? And then once you're once you're able to start approaching a company as as a group of shareholders, you have you have a huge you have, you have much greater chance of having some sort of influence. Okay, you know, one shareholder with a hundred shares, you know, calling a company, yeah, you know, IR may you know send you a form letter, but if you can get five or ten other shareholders together, and and you've got you know a few thousand or more shares speaking. Um, not only, you know, do you have a, a number of people sort of agree that your idea is right, you start to sow doubt in the minds of the board and the executives that oh maybe there's maybe there's something going on here, maybe there's maybe there's a, you know some chance that you know these folks are just the tip of the iceberg. So that kind of collective action, that type of of working, you know, in concert with other shareholders to try to influence is something that I would strongly advise anybody here, you know, listening uh, to, to consider. You, you got to do this with others. You can't just, you can't just act on your own. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am curious to hear about another facet of, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and this one is a little less technical. Uh, I'm curious what your creative workflow looks like. I know you send oh. out your <laughs> newsletter every week. How do you choose what to put on there? And uh, when you do well, write, let me, let me explain what, what what that is. And and you're and folks listening today are you know it's all free. You know when I st when I first started doing this, you know I, I think I I conveyed quite clearly I was I was pretty ignorant. I, I was looking around for resources, things to read that were oriented toward shareholders about activism, and there were there was blessed little out there. Uh, 10 or more years ago. There still isn't as much as, as we could use. You know, there's a ton of information available to members of a board of directors or management teams and so forth about how to, you know, how to deal with activists, how to make ESG folks, you know, how to co-opt them and so forth. There's, there's, there's dozens of law firms and proxy solicitors and advisors and so forth that all want to get in the boardroom and, 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 and help those folks out. But, you know, just regular investors and shareholders, there's just not a ton available about this subject, how to influence companies. And so I said, hmm, I started to, you know, try to compile materials about that. And I managed to, you know, grab the URL, theactivistinvestor.com, uh, spelled just that way, no punctuation, um, as a place to house some of the stuff I was reading. And then, because that's how I am, some of the stuff I started writing. So I wrote a white paper on this subject and started writing a weekly blog. Actually, I used the old Blogspot service for a while, and then I made it native onto the website. Um, I'll confess right now the website's in pretty needs some work. Uh, it hasn't been updated in a while, but uh, we can talk about that another day. 
um, there's someone out there who wants to wants to help uh, help improve an old website on the subject, I I I, I gladly accept the uh, the 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 offer. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, anyway, so there's a website, theactivistvest.com, which was intended to provide all these resources for shareholders, for investors about this, about how different kinds of SEC regs worked, about how um, uh, boards of directors think, executive comp issues, all sorts of interesting stuff. Whatever I kind of encountered in my travels as I was learning about this, I would either post links or write about it in this weekly blog. Um, and that um, that kind of took shape. And, and became, you know, what I was kind of hoping for was just a go-to resource for people who had some questions, you know, um, sort, of, sort of what I would, you know, if, as I was reading things, I thought they'd be interesting to other people. So I, I, I kind of did that. And, and I still continue to this day to, um, you know, write, you know, roughly, I try to do it once a week, some sort of blog post or something that is um, uh, responsive to an issue. Uh, so um, we talked a little bit about universal proxy card, which we may have some time to cover here, which is uh, uh, a change in how shareholders vote for boards of, in boards of director elections. Uh, so um, I started writing about that. Um, there's a, a technical, very important technical set of technical developments in Delaware law. I think most of your listeners know most corporations are domiciled in Delaware. So what happens in Delaware influences a lot of corporate governance around around the country, in fact, around the world. So there was um, stuff related to advance notice bylaws. I wrote about that a little bit and stuff that just interests me. So, um, you know, last year um, when Twitter was a public company before Elon Musk uh, took it private, uh, there were some really interesting corporate governance aspects of how the Twitter board of directors was handling this individual investor named Elon Musk. So I wrote a couple of blog posts about that. Um, the first time that Nelson Peltz was uh, active at Disney this is a year ago. Uh, that was kind of interesting. So I wrote some, so anything that I just kind of saw that that you know kind of uh, informed or you know t uh, had an interesting uh, uh, take on on something that that pertains to activist investing, I'd write about it. The other thing I started doing. Again, this is almost 10 years ago, too. Um, I, you know, I, I would try to read a lot because I'm a curious person. And I, um, I there was a lot of news items I would encounter. And and sometime at some point I started compiling these in a in a weekly uh, email uh, news digest or weekly digest. Um, and so I, I continue to do that to this day. So on Fridays after the market closes, I send out this list of, of it's a, basically a curated list of what happened this week uh, in the world of activist investing. Um, so that I got to work on that tomorrow morning. It'll go out tomorrow afternoon. Um, and it's um, it's just like I said, a weekly news digest that, um, you know, focuses on uh, news items, interesting analyses I've seen. Uh, sometimes there's some interesting controversial opinion pieces people write. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, X, uh, Attorney General Barr uh, wrote a, a Wall Street Journal piece uh, saying that the state of Delaware is threatening its stature as the uh, pre preeminent corporate domicile. And then the, the a Delaware judge responded to that and someone else responded. So anyway, so there's some interesting So I threw those links in there. And then that goes out, you know, once a week. You can sign up for that at the website if you're curious. Um the, the dirty secret, I don't know if I've told you guys about this, is that all the links that are there 
um, I tweet them out each or to X them tweet. What do we call what do we say these days? Tweet, you know, a few times a day. Uh, Cause if I'll find something, I'll, uh, I'll send a tweet on it. And then it, my life on Friday, on Friday morning becomes a little easier. I just look at all the tweets and, and put those together in a, in an email. So if you want to know what's going to be in the email, just follow the tweets and the, tw- and the Twitter handle is at activist investor, but because of the character limitations, it's, I can't remember how it's spelled, but there, there's no vowel at the end of investor. I invest, I N V S T R. I think. Anyway, so there's a Twitter account that uh, that tracks all these links. So that's that's a way for if you're if folks who are listening are kind of curious to sort of stay you know in tune with some of the news items and so for some of the trends. Uh, those, those are those are ways ways to do that. Um, so it was just a way you know to kind of contribute so to answer answer your question, Preston. Yeah, your Twitter handle is you forward thinking. All of the startups these days like to drop bells. Michael was doing it twenty years ago. I know, right? Exactly. (laughs) I had to because again, there was a activist investor was too long, so I had to drop. Right. Right. So, so if I could summarize your creative process, it it would be you read about what you're interested in, and then you write about the concepts after you synthesize them, and then at the end of the week, you collect your thoughts. You look through your stream of consciousness uh, that's manifested on Twitter slash X, and then that's how the content is. Uh, is blasted. And I, I socialize that too. I have a the email list is about five thousand people right now. That's who that's who gets it. Not everyone opens them every week, but we get I get pretty good uh, pretty good response. It's nice. So very cool, very cool. Well, uh, Preston, <laughs> I'll I'll let you ask uh, one more question to Michael, and then we'll ask him our rapid fire questions before we Great. break. Go ahead, sure. I'm, I'm all yours. Cool. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned UPC and then the advanced notice bylaws. I think this year there are a lot of high expectations for how oh, yeah. things would would unfold, and then I think the advanced notice bylaws sort of came in the way uh, from the activist side. Right. So, you know, what are your thoughts on on next year, twenty twenty four, and you know, generally, do you have any speculative takes on on how? Uh, <laughs> I'll how give you some, some predictions. Um, you know, using using universal proxy card as a jumping off point again. That was a change. You know, for listeners, that was a change in how a fairly you know subtle change in how the SEC requires companies to organize you know director elections um and it 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 you know it had this really interesting kind of little butterfly effect it it really could sort of reverberate out in some really interesting ways um you know there there, I, there were some predictions including myself for this year for 2023 that there would be a whole lot more uh, director contests and so forth. That didn't quite happen, um, though there were some interesting consequences where companies settled these director con- proposed director contests a lot more quickly and a lot more readily than they ever had before. So, so investors were able to, uh, at least in the first year of this new regulatory uh, environment, uh, were able to have some decent amount of, uh, of additional influence in companies that where, where I don't think they would have had before pre-reg. Okay. Um, but it's pretty clear, you know, based on what we started to see so far for in advance of next year, that um, a lot of traditional activists and, you know, ESG proponents and so forth were kind of waiting to see what might happen with the first year before they sort of acted. So one of the best examples of this 
was a couple couple you know i had predicted that you know traditional esg proponents people who are you know always in the face of companies about environmental issues and you know gender equity and so forth um you know would finally come out well that that actually happened so two week about two weeks ago the um uh the soc which is the um which is a coalition of unions decided to um run a slate of three directors at Starbucks Corporation. So the um, uh, the the Service Workers International. I'm blowing the acronym on the um, on the union that has tried to organize dozens and dozens of Starbucks around the country has also decided to nominate three distinguished um, you know labor proponents uh, you know who are you know pretty big in Democratic politics and so forth for the Starbucks board. Um, and uh, th- there is a decent chance that if this goes to an election, if, if Starbucks lets, doesn't settle this, if, 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 if sometime in around May, when Starbucks holds its annual shareholder meeting, that uh, one or more of these three people could win election to the Starbucks board as sort of a voice of labor. And I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago predicting that, or, or guessing that Starbucks does not want to be the, the one to lose this uh and, and that they might settle and and the idea that the, that labor might appoint a representative to the Starbucks board is is pretty earth-shattering and, and there's probably going to be a lot more of that kind of starting to unfold now uh now that there's a year of experience under under our belt uh you know that's you know conceivably at Amazon you know the automakers there's all sorts of interesting possibilities and in this this you know just using the universal proxy card you know rule change, to their advantage seems to have opened the door for this uh for this development so so there's there's uh there there, there there's uh you know potentially some some much more interesting directions this could go uh in in the coming year so uh i'll, I'll be watching it with uh with with heightened interest how's that sound yeah i mean it, it's it's super interesting um yep. to, to your point on the uh you know, Starbucks and Amazon, obviously, you know, labor and employees, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're trying to to get a bigger voice. Do you look at all at uh, international uh, situations? Uh, you know, for instance, I know in, in Germany, the corporate governance model, and obviously in many other countries, uh, is different where they have employees are almost have equal footing to shareholders. Yes, uh, correct. At least they, 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 they try to it at the least, you know, do you pay attention to anything going on abroad? I I, fo- I follow it a little bit. I worked on my first Canadian project uh, as an investor uh, last year. Um, I, I had really confined my uh, activist work to U.S.-based companies, U.S. activism, and so forth. So I've started to kind of look a little further abroad. I, I'm actually I'm looking at a German company right now as an activist investment. Um, done a little exploring about Japanese companies. And, you know, activism is is thriving. In, in all these different geographies, you know, one of the problems is that, you know, the securities regulation and the investor habits and so forth are, are, are very different country by country. There's a lot of subtlety that you have to try to understand. So it's, it's hard enough doing this in the U.S. much actually, you know, day by day. Uh, but I do focus a little bit and try to pay attention to what's going on in some some other parts of the world. Um, you know, to the extent, like I said, where, you know, someone came to me with a German company and said, hey, maybe this is worth working on. So I'm focusing on that a little bit. A couple more Canadian companies I've started to look at. So yeah, so outside the U.S., um, 
it's it's definitely possible, but it's 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 really tricky. You know, to do this well, to do this really well, and understand what you're getting yourself into, you're, it really takes some time to immerse yourself in the securities regulation and you know some of the the cultural habits of investors there. Um, so so you don't you don't do that kind of lightly. All right. So wrap us up. We have a series of rapid fire questions for, for you, it. Michael. Um, yeah. Just give us the the first or second thing that comes off of the top of your head. Okay. First question, what is one theme or trend? It could be related to activist investing or not that you think people should be paying more attention to. Oh, it, absolutely. This is an investing trend is that re- re- retail shareholders in companies are finally becoming much more important. Than they ever were. Okay, uh, you know, companies used to just blow them off. Used to just not care. Okay, um, and now uh, because they've been empowered by technology, by apps, uh, by you know cultural change and so forth, retail shareholders are becoming worth paying attention to. Uh, and so I've talked to a, a lot of people that are wondering, okay, how do we? Uh, make sure we understand what they're doing. How do we take advantage of that? And so in both activists and companies. So just the growth of retail investors as, as a factor in corporate governance and investing and in, in, in activism is going to continue to, uh, to improve. So, yeah. Next rapid fire question for you. What is one underrated book or resource that you think uh, people should read? Here's a resource for people. For listeners here, okay, I can't. I I always try to try to give them a plug. There's a website called secinfo.com, secinfo.com. It's a it's it's basically the very best way to get every SEC filing in the world without having to go through the sec.gov website, which is fine with Edgar. SEC info. If you want to pay him some money, the guy Fran Finnegan will gladly accept your your money. Um, but it's this wonderful, wonderful, searchable, free resource. You can bookmark companies. I get daily emails about companies, about different types of filings. So every kind of 13D filing, 13D for listeners here is, is what an activist has to file when they uh, announce an activist investment. And I like to see all those. So I get every 13D filing through SEC Info. It's it's a great resource. Um, so I, I I can't say enough about it. All right. Last two questions for you. And usually uh, these questions are asked to people who uh, are looking at individual stocks, but I think this might be fun for you as well. Okay. Uh, wh- what is one of the worst investments that you have made? I, um, there's too many, to, too many to count. I've invested in two or three companies that did go bankrupt. So their shares were worthless. So one of my first investments early on was that a a uh, toy retailer called Zany Brainy. And if you remember, he probably uh, Zany Brainy was this toy retailer that a friend of mine in the toy business. So they're going to do great. So I put a little bit of 401k money in that and that, that blew up. Um, I had, you know, the occasional activist project that doesn't go anywhere, but most of the time, uh, you know, I, I try to, I try to cut this stuff off before it gets too, gets too bad. Um, so I, I, I've not really had a, a really, you know, investment that that you know did really well and then 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 sank um you know most of the time you know i'm trying to look at this combination of governance factors and and core value and so forth and 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 i and I, you know there's there's things that i may have missed 
that um you know rather than investments that went went bad on me so um uh yeah so it, i think it, it, it's more the ones more the ones where I, I i got to the plate and didn't strike out but didn't even get to the plate on it how's that sound to use a metaphor so yeah i like baseball sounds good oh good uh, great and uh last question what is one of the best investments you have made all time oh my god i think you know, years ago, I um, I put a big chunk of my money in 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 a in a very low fee Vanguard, uh, very well diversified you know S and P five hundred or broad market index, and you know that's where my money when I'm not putting it in an individual activist situation for myself, um, I'm 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 investing in a broad U S based index, um, you know today it happens to be an S and P index that's really cheap. Um, and, uh, that, that tends to be a good place to put money. I don't, I don't split, you know, 60, 40, uh, even though I'm old enough to want to do it, uh, between equity and, and a bond fund, everything just sits in, uh, in a very broad based equity index. Uh, and I take money out of that to make, make individual activist investments. That's probably one of the best things I've ever done is, uh, you know, your core assets can sit there and then your activist stuff, you can, uh, you can, you know, buy blocks of shares. Uh, for activist projects. And when that activist projects is done, the money goes right back into the index. I think uh, maybe all of the financiers out there will call this the core satellite portfolio strategy. Another way to look at it. But whatever you want to characterize it as. Well, uh, Michael, it's fantastic to have you on. It's a treat whenever Preston and I get to speak with you. Where can people find you on the interwebs these days? I think the best place if they have questions and so forth, my contact information is is on the website, theactivistinvestor.com. Uh, and from there, you can uh, you can branch off. There's contact info there. And I'd be happy to answer questions for people about, um, you know, what, what we're working on, about activist investing, about what your rights are as a shareholder and so forth, and, um, and, and, and take it from there. All right? Perfect. Well, until next time, my name is Stephen Zhu, along with Preston Yadiger of Shareholder Vote Exchange. Thank you very much.